Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. This year is a new year, and I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. I'm just like, Lord, help me to set goals and then to create steps for me to actually then follow through and attain or achieve the goals. The goals are way better and an action step. My wife is great at keeping me accountable. And, right, because resolutions are great. We love to say all these amazing things and then it kind of stops right there. And I learned the lesson. This is not part of the sermon. We're going to get there. But maybe someone needs to hear this because you're like... I'm all about the resolutions and the goals. I remember seeing my chiropractor and he said, uh, hey, so what are some goals for this year? This was a few years back. I was like, you know, I want to lose about 20 pounds. I want to do this. And, do, and he goes, that's great. How are you going to go about doing that? And it never, that question never dawned on me in my own mind. And I was like, well, actually, I don't, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. He's like, so, so that's the part that you have to figure out. So if it's like, it has to be achievable. So make it, don't say I'm going to work out seven days a week. He's like, maybe say two to three times. And set yourself up to win in this new year. And, and make baby steps towards bigger steps. Maybe some of you, you're there today. So take that advice. If you're married, sit down with your spouse. Hopefully you've had time. Um, Maybe it's just been a busy time. Take time and begin to plan the year, put some goals, but then say, God, help me to break this down into ways that I can actually achieve it. And, you know, it's easy for me to say, and I'll be very, the first to admit, it's way harder to follow through. Amen? But it doesn't mean that it's not worth it. Anything worth doing is usually hard. And so today, with God's help, that was for free, but we're going to get to the message. And this, the title, I'll give it to you right off the bat, is Creating Space for the Anointing. Creating Space for the Anointing. You know, we were decluttering a little bit in our basement. We had toys, we have gifts, we have all these things. And some, my office, my wife's like, don't forget the office. You got to declutter all of the paperwork and all of the stuff that she knows I hate doing. And I realized it is very easy to accumulate a whole bunch of stuff. Anyone bear witness to that? And before you know it, there's clutter everywhere. And you're like, how did it get to this? And, and some of us, I could function with clutter, no problem. I'm organized chaos all day long, 24-7. And, and I'm okay with that. My wife is not okay with clutter. She's like... I'm going to short circuit here if this place doesn't get cleaned out. And for her, she needs it that way. And that's okay too. That's okay. But here's the thing. There is value in making room. So some of us, our lives have been cluttered. Maybe 2022, you did some things and said yes to a whole bunch of things. And your calendar was cluttered. Your, your thoughts were cluttered. Everything was full. And you're saying, oh God, I'm, I'm so done with that. Are you ready to make room for what 
God has for you. And I'm going to say, are you ready to make room or create space for the anointing? Because I'm telling you, there's value in making room. The room won't make itself. You have to make the room in your life. And so we're going to look at creating space for the anointing. And in a new year, make space for the things that matter most. If you get nothing else today, hear this. Make space for the things that matter most. And the fact that you're in church on January the 1st, you're off to a great start. Maybe uh, we have friends in Florida from our church. I know they're all there. I saw a big pictures, like 40 people. So, hey guys, we love you. We miss you. Come back soon. But make space for what matters most. And for some of us, it's not an automatic, like, I know what that is. But I'm here to submit to you as as your pastor. If you're a guest today, uh, allow me to be your pastor for like the next 40 minutes or so. And I would say that Jesus needs to be number one. And, And that's why it wasn't like, oh, the song selection just kind of aligned. Jesus over everything doesn't happen by accident. It happens intentionally when you say, Jesus, I want to put you first in my life. And how does that look like? How does that play out? It's you're first in my calendar. You're first in my bank account. You're first in my relationships. You're first in my career. Because some of us, we could be so about the career and chasing the position that God's not even a part of it anymore. And we have to be careful. But Jesus, I include you. You're first in these areas. Which also then means if he says something and speaks a word to you about one of those areas, are you willing to listen and obey? Because that's, how, that's the litmus test for knowing, is he really first in, in my life or in these areas? Is Am I willing to not just hear what he has to say, to listen, but to obey and to follow through? That's what's going to make the difference. So again, in this new year, make space for the things that matter most. So if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 4. And we have a a lot of scripture and I make zero apology for that. When I was younger and I first started preaching, I remember it was a long text I was, it was right here at Weston, and I said, you know, sorry, you know, it was 18 verses I just read. And someone after the service tapped me on the shoulder, and they said, never apologize for reading the Word of God. And so we're going to look at a lot of Scripture, and that's why I'm, I'm not being offensive toward you. I'm just saying, I don't make apology, because this is the most important word we need for 2023. Amen? Amen. 2 Kings chapter 4. And just before we read it, actually, you know what? Uh, Let me give you a bit of context. So we're going to encounter a woman in this chapter. Actually, there are two women, but we'll look at the second part first, starting at verse 8. There's this woman, and the Bible tells us she is wealthy. She's wealthy. And what does she do? She urges Elisha. You say, well, slow down. Who is Elisha? Elisha is God's mouthpiece. What I mean by that is he is the prophet. 
And he, there's a strong anointing on this man of God to speak and communicate God's heart and God's word to his people. And so she urges this man, this prophet, Elisha, to come to her home for a meal. And the Bible says whenever he would pass that way, he would stop at her place to have something to eat. Again, we're talking about creating space for the anointing. And so she finds the man of God and she urges him. Maybe he was like, well, I'm kind of busy. I got to move on to the next town. But she urges him to come and stay for a meal. And what was she simply doing? She was being hospitable towards this man of God. But something happens as they are showing this hospitality towards the man of God. And the Bible says that she says to her husband, and she says, hey, why don't we build a room for this man of God so that every time he's passing through, he can stay with us. He can stay at our place. And it's amazing that her hospitality drew Elisha to her family and her home. And like I said, when I'm speaking and saying Elisha, I'm symbolically thinking of anointing. Because the anointing in which he carried, compared to who, whose place he took, Elisha took the place of Elijah, and he asked for a double portion of the spirit that was on his predecessor. He said, I want a double portion of that kind of anointing, that kind of Holy Spirit in me. And, and it was upon Elisha. So this woman, by her hospitality, was able to, and I use the word attract. She was able to attract the anointing of God in such a way that she said, I want, if he's going to pass through, I want him at my house. Not the other person's house. I, I want the anointing in my house. And so she said to her husband, We're, we got to make a space for the man of God, the anointed man of God, to come and to stay with us. And the Bible says that every time he came by, she, she's known as the Shunammite woman, she's from Shunem, that he would stay at her place. And so it's amazing to think her hospitality drew Elisha to her family and her home. And she had this brilliant idea. I just want to read, starting at verse 9, what it says. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. I love that because no one told her to do that. No one told her to think like that. She desired the presence of God and the anointing that was on this man. She said, I want more of that in my home. I want, so my question to you is, do you want more of the anointing in your home? Because you got to make room for it. Are you creating a space for the anointing of God to dwell and to rest on your home, to rest on your children? It doesn't happen by accident. You have to intentionally create space for the anointing. So it goes on to say, One day Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to, his, to this upper room to rest. 
He said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. So notice the tables have turned now. She first approached him and urged him to stay for a meal. Then she builds the room, and now he stays every time he's walking through. So now he's there, he's in the room, he's in the house. And, and out of nowhere, he's there to rest, the Bible says. But he says, hey Gehazi, bring the woman here. She's been so kind to us, I want to ask what we can do for her. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I want to finish reading that part so you can get it straight from the word. Tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown to us. What can we do for you? And he just gives her some suggestions. Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? And listen to her response. No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. So remember, she's a wealthy woman. Now she's telling us, like, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. I appreciate it, but I'm good. But I want to slow down for a little second longer. Because Elisha now, let me say this properly. He was on her mind. Now that she made space, get this part, she was on his mind. And, and I know that Scripture says that God's thoughts are already toward you. And they are precious. His thoughts about you are precious. So it's not like God is not thinking about you. But there's something that attracts the attention of heaven when you begin to make room and make space for what God has for you. And so heaven pays attention now. And, and I'm using Elisha symbolically to represent that. And he says, hey, bring her here. What can we do for you? What can we do? And her response, I love it. It's confident, not cocky. It's confident. I'm good. I don't have any needs. Materially, physically, I'm good. We even built this addition to our home so you could stay with us. We're good. And, it, you know, if it was me, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. I'm going to move on. But she leaves, and then Elisha's still not done. He's like, Gehazi. What else can we do for this woman? There ha there's got to be something. And he probably just didn't know or see it yet. And so verse 14, it goes on to say, Ge Elisha said to Gehazi, what can we do for her? And I want you to note Gehazi's response. Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. It's interesting. She could have said, well, I've been really longing to have a child. She was just like, I'm good, I'm content. But how many of you know that God could see through the mask that we wear? And I'll go as far as to say sometimes the facade, because we pretend like we're good, and maybe we are. We have the house, we have the, kid, the, the car, but there could be something that is, you know, like, Oh, that struck the nerve. Ooh, you put the finger on something. And Gehazi, he gets it right. And he says, well, she doesn't have a child. And the other problem with that first part is, and her husband is old. And her husband is old. 
And for some of us, that presents a massive problem, yes? But how about we flip the script and we look at it this way, that maybe it's just the perfect recipe for a miracle. Instead of saying, ooh, don't touch that area, it's too sensitive. No, no, we can't go there. It's a pain point for her, probably. But what if it was the perfect recipe for a miracle? And so, listen to what happens. He said, call her back again, verse 15. I think we have it up on the, on the screen. Verse 15, if we have it. Call her back again, Elisha told them. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her, as she stood in the doorway, listen to this prophetic word, verse 16. Next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. And, and if that was you, you would be overjoyed maybe. But listen to her response. She says, no, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. So you could tell that she had built a wall of defense around the pain point, around the hurt, around the frustration, around the impossibilities that were presented to her in the context of not being able to have her own child. And, and listen to this. She's like, don't get my hopes up. So maybe she had hopes one day. But obviously she's let them die out. And now she built this fortress around and said, don't you touch that area of my heart. Don't you touch that area of my life. I'd never give you permission. You could stay in the room, but I didn't give you permission for this part. Maybe you've said something like that to God in your life. But today, instead of viewing it as, oh, you, you struck a nerve, don't touch that. Maybe it's the perfect recipe for your miracle. And I say that there's prophetic overtones to this message today for some people in this room. Look at verse, the very next verse, verse 17. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at the time, and at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Just as Elisha had said. That's a powerful testimony so far. That's a powerful story. It doesn't end there though. And the part I want to get to in this message is God gives this incredible promise and there's potential in the promise. This boy is born now, but the story turns, not for the better, but for the worse. The Bible says in verse 18, one day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters and suddenly He cried out, the son, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. I want to stop there. Because I believe there are people here today. You're in this room. You're watching online. You'll watch this at some point in your life. God's given you a promise and you feel like the promise has died. And we call the promise potential because for, for us to see what God has said, we have to see it lived out. Now here's this boy, he's been promised to us, why is he dying? Why is he dead now at noontime on his mother's lap? 
The promise was given to her. And the future potential of this promise is now dead. And I want to draw your attention to the very next verse. It ties back to the hospitality, the let's make room, let's create space for the anointing. Let's have Elisha stay with us because I want what's on him. I want that in our house. Look at verse 21. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. That's a heavy verse if you're a parent in this room. That's a heavy verse. When I read that though, I also see faith. It's not just I'm going to put him in this room and shut the door and I see it as God. This was what you promised me and it wasn't me who was looking for this. She said, it was this guy who said to me, by this time next year, you're going to have a baby. It came to pass. Now, Lord, I'm bringing him back to the man who said it would happen from the beginning. And I'm going to lay him on the bed of the anointed man of God. That We've created space for this in our home. And then she had an opportunity to then bring her son into that atmosphere, into that bedroom. Put him there and shut the door. And I believe there's significance in the shutting of the door because there's something that God wants to do that only happens in the secret place. In the secret place. It is not necessarily going to be here at this altar in a public setting corporately. But it's in the privacy of your home, in the area where you say, God, I'm creating space for the anointing. This is the place where you and I meet. This is the place where we hash it out. And so she said, God, I'm going to put him back right here, right on, on the bed, symbolic to me of the altar, right back on the altar. And God, this is not my problem. This is yours. And she shuts the door and she walks out. Not rudely, I'm sure brokenhearted, maybe even confused, but there, there's faith to say, Lord, if there's anyone who knows what to do now, it's got to be you. It's got to be you. I don't know what to do. It's got to be you. And that's what she does. What what are you going to do in 2023? I'm not looking to last year. What have you done? What are you doing in 2023 with the word God has given you, with the promise maybe that you're actually starting to walk in, but if you hit a dead end and, and the road seems like, what happens here? My prayer is that you would step back into the secret place where you first heard him speak the promise over your life. And you say, God, this was the word. This was your word, not mine. Your word to me. Lord, I'm submit, submitting it back to you. Lord, I need the next step. I don't know what the next step looks like. And so she does this. I, I want to sum up that part of the sermon by saying this. She consecrated, there's that word again. She consecrated a space in her home for the anointing to rest on their home. She consecrated a space. What does that word consecrated mean? It means you take something and you set it apart or you set it aside for a special use. 
And, you know, it's, we've used this example before. Like, in our home, growing up, we had, like, the regular cutlery and the regular chipped dinner plates. But then when the guests were coming for Christmas and New Year's, can I get a witness? It was like, no, 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 put those plates away. We take out the good plates. We take out the nice plates that we never use at all except for a special occasion. It, we could say that those plates are set apart for special use. That's what, when I think of the word consecrated, that's what God needs you and I to be. When she consecrated a space in her home, it was a place set apart for Elisha, the man of God. This is his upper room. This is the place. When he's coming through, he has a right to come in and he has a right to stay at our place. Why? Because we've made room for him. And so she consecrated a space in her home for the anointing to rest on her home. My question for you is, are you making room for the anointing in your home? You say, I don't own a home. Let me get more personal. Are you making space? Are you consecrating space in your life for God to show up? For you and Him to meet? Well, if the story ended there, it would be a horrible new year for us. And I'm so grateful that it doesn't end. Because as she puts him there, and the Bible says she shuts the door, she says to her husband, hey, I need a donkey. I need to act now. Because I said she, there was faith operating in her. And, and I want to read where it goes from here. Verse 22. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. Did you hear that? Her faith said, it will be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. So there was a sense of urgency in her heart that she said, no, 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 I got to move now on this. It will be all right. Don't slow down unless I tell you to. Verse 25, as she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her. And ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Can I stop there for a minute? When Elisha was in the home, he thought, he had the thought, hey, go get the woman. But I love the fact that in a different environment, he still recognizes who she is. Notice that. He said, hey, isn't that the woman? Go, go get her. Bring her here. I want to point that out because heaven takes notice of the people who make room and make space. God pays attention. God cares. God notices. And, and I'll be very frank with you. Someone who spends two minutes praying a quick dinner prayer, and that's all the praying you do in your life, versus someone who takes ten minutes intentionally before the day starts or on their lunch hour there's a difference i would even say someone who prays two minutes 
intentionally versus two minutes before you eat the dinner food, just because, thank you, God, for the food, bless the, you know, da-da-da, in Jesus' name, amen. There's a difference. There's a difference because you're making space and you're intentionally saying, no, 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 I'm not praying because there's food in front of my face. I'm praying, God, because I value the time we have and I've made space for you in my calendar. I've made space for you in my schedule. So the way we use our time Two minutes with God versus two minutes with food and a quick Hail Mary, thank you for the food prayer, is a, is a marked difference to God. I want you to know that. Not all prayers are equal. Not all time is equal. And so he noticed this woman and he said, run out to meet her, verse 26, and ask her, is every, listen to the precision of Elisha's questioning. Is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Now, remember, he said this to the servant, so listen to her response. Yes, the woman told who? Gehazi. Everything is fine. Verse 27 says, But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. So, Some of you are probably saying, why did she say yes? Why did she lie seemingly to the servant? And I simply, the only thing I could tell you, this is opinion. It's not, it's not recorded why. But opinion on that is because Gehazi was not the one who gave her the word. It was Elisha, the man of God. Not the servant, it was Elisha. So in one sense... I appreciate you. I understand you're here because of Elisha, but I need to deal directly with the one who gave me the word. And so it's very important. That's just an opinion, but I, I noticed those things, and, and it's right there in Scripture. It's not that she's lying. She, I feel like it's more like she's saying, you're not the one I need to settle this with and tell. I need to tell it straight to him. I want you to know in your secret place, you don't need Pastor John or Pastor Miguel, Pastor Tara, Pastor Sum to be the mediator between you and God. In your secret place, it's you and God. Why? Because the Bible says what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross, he made a way where we can boldly enter into the throne room of heaven. And so we pray in the name of Jesus because that's why we have the access. But we're praying to our Heavenly Father as Jesus taught us to pray. And so, yes, the woman told Gehazi, but verse 27, she came to the man of God at the mountain. She fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Notice posture. She's not upset. She's not like, you got to do this. Fix your, it's your problem, not mine. No, her posture is she's at his feet. Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. So even though he asked a very precise question, is it everything okay with you, your husband, and your child? We would think, well, that's pretty specific. It's one of those three things, but the one thing affects all three of those things. And yet, he's still saying the Lord hasn't given me clarity on it. So I want to also say on my end of, of ministry, and, and as you step out and minister, sometimes... All you've got is, are you okay? Like two or three things. But you would say on the other end of that, well, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. 
Sometimes I've felt like, God, you're giving me a word for someone, but there's no clarity on it. But I'm trying to sometimes deliver what I feel is a prophetic word. This is just a side note, a teaching moment in the sermon where I feel God is speaking to me, but I haven't gained the clarity or the precision yet. But, but even without me knowing the clarity behind the word, that you, sometimes it's been where you say, that's exactly it. You, you hit the nail on the head. So just an interesting note, like, is it everything okay with you, your husband, your child? Well, no. But he actually, he's saying, I don't have clarity on what happened. But I feel like he probably sensed there's something going on with the three of you. But I'm not quite sure yet what it is. And so look at, look at what's going to happen here. He said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled. I don't know what it is yet. Verse 28. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? She's not saying it from an angry place. She's saying it from a broken place. Again, it was the wall of defense was built. And, and now, okay, she allowed the, the Lord through Elisha to speak into the hurt Remember we said it was a perfect recipe for a miracle. And, and it happened. It happened, but then it stopped and this boy died. And so I think it's more of like frustration and confusion. Where she's saying, I thought that this, would, this was it. Like you did it, but I didn't ask for this. And she said, I thought I said, don't deceive me. Don't get my hopes up. This is the brokenheartedness of a mother crying out. And then Elijah said to Gehazi, that's his servant, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. I can't tell you why he said that. I can't, I don't know why. Maybe God said to him, tell your servant, do it this specific way. But check verse 30, because I love the tenacity of a mother. Listen to verse 30. But the boy's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. In other words, if all you're planning to do is send Gehazi with the staff, I'm not accepting that. I'm not, I'm not accepting. And I, in fact, I'm not going to leave here unless you're coming with me. Because... Well, I mean, Elisha, there's a, there's a place for you to sleep. <laughs> so you're coming with me. Let's go. She says, I won't go home unless you go with me. And listen, so Elisha returned with her. There was relationship there. He was a familiar face in the home to begin with. And God shows up where he's invited. I'm going to say it again. God shows up. Where he's invited. So you make space and you say, Lord, this is for you. Before we get to the next part of the story, in Bible school, there was a, a friend of ours. He was a funny guy. Just mental note, verse 31. I'm going to get back here. And his name was Derek. Derek was a, a little older than me, a couple of levels above levels. Because in the States, it's like you're a freshman. Uh, sophomore, junior, then senior. So when I was a freshman, he was a junior in his third year. And 
So I was friends actually with his roommate, who was a Canadian. So I was hanging out in the room, and I was about to sit down on this chair. And he said, no, 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 no. His roommate piped up, Derek. No, 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 no. And I was like, it's, what's wrong? He's like, that's God's chair. And I thought he was joking. So I sat down. And he got really upset. And I was like, okay, Derek, I get what you're saying. This is a bit weird. Like, it's, it's just a chair, right? So then I think after he just loosened up and he's like, no, but that, that's where I do my devos and all that stuff. Whatever the story was for Derek, there was a space, even in the small shared dorm room, with all, literally was two beds, two desks, two closets. That's it. But there was an extra chair. And for Derek, maybe it was his reminder that, hey, I've created space for God. So just a little reminder. Think of Derek when you get home today. Verse 31, Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face. So he didn't cancel out the first command to his servant. But listen, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. He did what the prophet said to do, and nothing happened. How many of us get frustrated with God after the first time if we don't see anything turn? Or if we don't see anything move or change? And we get frustrated and we get upset. But listen, nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him the child is still dead. So they were en route. He ran ahead, did that, and now came and met them halfway on the journey. But look at verse 32. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Notice again, he's in there, now the door is shut. Now, hey God, let's, let's figure this out. Verse 34, then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. If anyone tried to do that today, we'd be arrested and thrown in jail for a million reasons. And I'm not suggesting that you should try this per se. But, but listen... And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. There's a sign of life. Look at verse 35. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. He opened his eyes. So my question to you is, what do you do when your promised potential suddenly dies right before your eyes? What do you do? What do you do? Here's what I submit to you. You put your potential back under the anointing of God. You put your potential back under the anointing of God. Why? Back where it came from to begin with. That's why. So that, that might mean you, if you're the potential, you've received the promise. You, you go to your secret place, and I'm not saying ask someone to lay on top of you, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, and all of those body parts too. 
What I'm saying is you put yourself under the anointing, back under the anointing, in that space, and you say, God, I'm here again. God, I'm coming under your anointing again. Notice she was a wealthy woman. She had every physical need met, but she didn't have what? A son. Her husband was also old. But God promised Gave her a promise this time next year, you're going to be holding your miracle. So the very thing that he was, or that she, you know, like God was putting that finger right on that sensitive spot. And, And obviously she had to come to terms. She struggled with the word initially, but then it said when she became pregnant, it was like, okay, God, this is happening And just because God promises you something, it's a new year. And I believe that God's going to speak to you. I believe in words that, that God can and should give you. You should be asking God, what's the word for me for this year? This is something that I, I also do for our church every year. And as we head into a time of prayer and fasting starting next Sunday all the way until January 29th. We'll break that fast at the end of the month in our church service with communion together. And it's a time where we seek the Lord. It's a time where we put Him first in the year. There's a whole year in front of us, but when we pray and fast and we set time aside, we're consecrating three weeks, 21 days, to say, Lord, before... We set out to do anything else in this new year. God, we want to seek you first. God, we want to put you first. We want to pray. And Lord, praying, part of praying is not just speaking to God, but then listening and making space for him to speak. And I believe that he'll speak in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I have big asks. I have big things that I'm believing God for. And, and they're audacious. You won't hear all of them. I'm sorry. My wife, she'll hear most of them. And then there are the personal things that, hey God, this is what I'm believing for. And maybe one day when it all happens, then I'm going to be able to share and testify or with whoever is appropriate. Make space for God. Consecrate time. And so this woman, she, she had all of these areas that were good, but there was this area. Isn't it just like God to want to get to the one thing that you've been trying to hide and hold together and keep it under wrap? Isn't that just like God? He says, hey, I know you're good. The question is meant to provoke you on purpose because there's this. There's this area right here. And I know for some of you, this is, the, this is the word you need. This is the word you need. Because you like the happy part. You like the good part. You like the joyful parts. Happy New Year. But right now, as we're moving all those things aside, God's wanting to get to the one thing. What is the pain point? What is the one area of your life that you feel like, uh-uh, no, Jesus, I already feel uncomfortable. What if Pastor John's going to single me out or there's going to be a word? Or, what if, God, you just want to deal straight up with me right now? And I believe that's exactly what he wants to do. Not me. I just 
that's what God, I'm just the servant. I'm Gehazi in this story. And I just get to be, hey, this is what God is saying. And as we start a brand new year, some of us say, like, Pastor, I need a word for this year. And I say, that's awesome. You have his holy and anointed word already given to you. And as you seek him, yes, he speaks to you out of the volume of this book. And his Holy Spirit confirms in your heart his word. God brings revelation. And, and I'm believing for a word for you. I'm believing for a word for you. Before we get to the end of the sermon, and I want to end with prayer. I said that in 2 Kings chapter 4, there were two women. Two stories, two women. We looked at this one. She's a wealthy woman from Shunem. The first woman, verses 1 to 7, is pretty much the complete opposite in that she's a poor widow. So here we have a wealthy woman. Now we have a widow who literally says... To Elisha, same prophet, these creditors, they're after me. I can't, I can't pay them. My husband's died. And her husband was part of the company of prophets that Elisha would have known. And so she's coming back to him saying, hey, you would have known my husband. This is my situation. And she's like, the creditors are coming and I can't pay them. So they're going to take my boys. They're going to take my sons. And as a widow, she has no other means to provide for herself but through her sons. And so the question Elisha says is, well, what do you have? What do you have in your house? And she says to him, I think we have this on the screen, it's verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 4, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. So that's not much. But notice the question, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? And she says, well, this is what I've got. I just got some olive oil left. You might not have much left over from 2022, but I want you to know that it is enough for God to move in your family, in your life, and in your home. And it won't just be a little bit, because I want to just read a few verses here today. It says in verse 3, when she said that, and Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house. Where? Go into your house with your sons and do what? Shut the door behind you. Man, there's something, there's a theme in these two stories about getting into your home, into your own space and shutting the door and, and she's there with her sons now. And he says, pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So the very thing that she only had a little bit left, what does he tell her to do? Pour it out. Pour it out. Because my tendency would be like, well, no, I don't have much. I got to keep it in the one vessel, in the one jar. But he says, pour it out. And when every jar was filled, they would set it aside. Look at verse 5. So she did what? As she was told. Listening is not enough. You have to follow through with faithful obedience. Even if you say, God, this sounds so ridiculous. But I know I've heard your voice. And I must do what you've asked of me to do. 
And so she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled, listen, one after another. And soon every container was full to the brim. And I love this, because this would have been happening again and again. And she goes, okay, bring me another jar. She's telling her sons, and her sons say, there aren't any more. And then the olive oil stopped, what, flowing. That's not a problem. All it's telling us is to the extent that you create the space for God's anointing to show up. Oil, by the way, is a symbol of God's anointing. To the extent that you make space, that you create space, God can fill it. I said God can. I didn't say will. I said He can fill it. You got to ask Him. You got to invite Him. You got to shut the door in your home. You got, got to gather your family together and say, We're going to believe God like never before. If you're single here today, you don't need a family even. If you have a family, you should do it. But if you're single today, you do it just the same. If you're in a home where there are unbelievers, maybe it's your parents who are unbelievers, then you create that space in your bedroom. And you say, God, I'm making space for you today. But to the extent that she created space, and in space I mean she had jars that were empty, and when they were full, she goes, bring me in. We have no more left. Then the oil stopped. You know what Elisha said? I want to read it to you. Verse 7. When, the, when she told the man of God what happened, he said to her. So she did it in obedience, not even knowing, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with all this oil? The oil just keeps flowing. What am I going to do with all this oil? Surely I can't cook enough. Look at verse 7. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, here's the next step. Now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. He's El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. More than enough. So the oil, it wasn't just so she could keep baking bread. It was literally so that she could live and enjoy life with her sons. Never to worry again about the creditors. Again, two women... One wealthy, but that wasn't what God had to deal with. God had to deal with the hurt and the pain and the things she was keeping from everyone else. The other woman, zero wealth, and was afraid to lose her family. And the word came and said, do this. She followed through in faithful obedience. Didn't even know the next step. What do I do with all the oil? Tells the man of God again. He says, great, here's what you do next. You don't need to have all of the steps figured out to follow through on what God has said to you. All you need to know is what do I need to do next. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.